You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning, good morning. It is good to see faces and not just this thing that um, typically we've been talking into, but it's good to be gathered wherever you may be this morning, however you may be gathering, in the words of Colin Cowherd, if you're a sports fan, I just wanted to work that in. Because <laughs> uh, he says it every time. But hey, good to see you guys. Um, you're stuck with me today, for better or for worse. Zach uh, is on vacation for the next three weeks, and so you can think of him. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, he's um, the lead pastor here, so we can be praying for him and his family that that is a refreshing time away. Um, and we're going to continue, though, in Matthew 13, continuing to work our way through this book. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you have your phone in front of you, you can um, open that up to Matthew chapter 13, verses 31, 32, and 33. So Matthew 13 is where we'll be. And as you're turning there or, or, or dialing it up, the, the context here is as we look at these two very short parables this morning, is that they're actually part of the, the larger seven parables that we see here in chapter 13. And they all have to do with God's kingdom. And each one begins, each parable begins with this phrase. You can see it there, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And now I know for many of us, we've heard these parables so much, they've become a little probably familiar that they've lost a little bit of sharpness. And so I want to illustrate this to you, and and you're going to have to trust me on this. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and if you're at home and you have kids running around, maybe don't do this with us, but for you in this room, you can trust me, you can close your eyes, and I just want to set the scene of what's before us in this text. So I want you to imagine that you're standing right here 2,000 years ago listening to Jesus, that you're part of this crowd as he teaches And I want you to remember that as a Jewish person, your parents, your grandparents, those older than you have talked and talked and talked about God's kingdom, the coming of the Messiah. And so with excitement, you've joined with this crowd today, knowing in a sense that Jesus has begun this new sermon series called God's Kingdom. And so you're excited to be here. Keep your eyes closed. Because Jesus is just about to begin this new sermon series that you are pumped to hear as a Jewish person. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, you fill in the blank. What would you expect? What comparison as a Jewish person do you expect Jesus to make at this point as he begins this sermon? You can open up your eyes See, nothing bad happened. Maybe at home, something bad did happen if you have small kids running around. But for me, if I was to fill in that blank, it would be something pretty grand and pretty glorious, right? Like the kingdom of heaven is like the most mighty mountain range in all the world in strength and glory. Or the kingdom of heaven is like the vast ocean, full, immensely deep and wide. That's where my mind goes. I don't know what you put in there. 
But let's look at how Jesus compares the kingdom. Chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. It says, Jesus put another parable before them. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. You see, instead of choosing something grand and glorious, right, Jesus chooses two very common household items, a mustard seed and some leaven. It's like, come on, Jesus, I'm excited to be here to talk about God's kingdom. Thanks, but no thanks. It's, It's clearly a comparison that on the outside it lacks appeal. But friends, Jesus gives to the Jew then and to us Now, a profound richness of hope and encouragement. And I think it's a text that we need to hear in light of where our world is today. Because our big idea is simply this, that God's kingdom cannot be stopped. God's kingdom cannot be stopped. Would you pray with me as we turn into this passage. Lord, Father, by your spirit, we pray that you open your word to our hearts right now and our hearts to your word. Prune back the hedges of any unbelief, God. Lord, we need you and ask for understanding in these moments. In your name we pray, amen. And let me just say this as we get going as well. I said this earlier a couple weeks back, but feel free to verbalize with me this morning, all right? We're gathered together in person, some of us, and so use that right to like say, all right, I'm with you. Preach on. You can say that. We can be a church like that. Yes. I love it. Here's our plan this morning. It's really simple. One, I want us to quickly just grab a better understanding of a first century Jews, like their understanding of God's kingdom. All right? And then secondly, I want to look at the comparisons that Jesus gives us. So first, what does a Jew, how does a first century Jew think about God's kingdom? And then secondly, how does Jesus bring us these comparisons and what do they mean? So a Jewish understanding, real, real simply, of kingdom was it would be geopolitical, right? It was a kingdom that would be of military might and force, For the promised Messiah in the Old Testament, the Christ, he would come and he would crush oppression. He would crush Rome. He would establish Jerusalem as the new epicenter. And for us now in 2020, as we look back on a first century Jew, we say, gosh, how could you be so wrong? Right? Did you not read Isaiah? Did you not read the idea of the suffering servant? Did you just leave out those chapters in your Bible reading plan? That's not the case at all, because the Jewish idea that they expected Christ would arrive in a crushing, violent force was not formed in a vacuum. It was formed by reading the Old Testament. Over and over, the Old Testament prophets 
books that we typically don't read, they foretell the awaiting doom and destruction of every faithless pagan nation. And there's many examples that we could turn to, but consider this one from Daniel. And in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time is the king of the entire known world, right? I Meaning as far as the eye could see, King Neb owned it. Yet he has a dream, and it haunts, and it terrifies him. And so Daniel arrives on the scene and interprets the dream for the king. We know this story, right? And listen to, the, listen to how Daniel concludes in chapter 2 the interpretation of this dream. This is the, the king's dream that he's had, and Daniel concludes this of the interpretation in chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel says, and in the days of those kings, and he's just gone through four different kingdoms that will be established throughout time, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. This kingdom, it shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and this kingdom will stand forever." According to Daniel, when the Christ, the Messiah, come, it's going to be violence. It's going to destroy every other kingdom and establish God's everlasting kingdom. And first century Jews would have known this. They would have studied it. In fact, they would have built their hope upon this. Because year after year, they're living under Roman oppression, an oppression that has led them to be slaughtered by the thousands. An oppression where they've been crucified, tortured. An oppression where their stuff has been plundered. So where's the Jews' hope? Their hope is in the Messiah. The hope is when Christ comes, Rome will get theirs, and God will set up their kingdom. So when Jesus arrives on earth and begins proclaim, remember his, his, his message is this, the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a whirlwind of excitement because this means the destruction of the Roman Empire is imminent, right? And so as we, as we step into chapter 13, you know, in, in one sense, the disciples and those who are following Jesus' ministry, they have not seen this yet, Right? And I think they're probably scratching their, their heads saying, okay, he, he seems like the Messiah. We, we've, we've seen this incredible source of power. We've been amazed at his teaching and understanding of Scripture. But where is the kingdom? Where is the, the fury, the wrath, the judgment of God? Where is that kingdom? And sadly, to the Jewish ear, and if we were with them, we saw this last week in the parable of the weeds. Jesus says, no, no. The nature of the kingdom is this, that while you grow as my people, the weeds will grow with you. That as righteousness increases, so will evil. And as my kingdom expands, the weeds will be there also. This is disorienting to them, surely, and to us as well. And if you think about it, it honestly doesn't make much sense from our humanness. Because if evil is allowed to occupy the kingdom, what sort of assurance 
would you have of the kingdom's success? It doesn't add up. Well, believe it or not, that assurance is found, Jesus says, in our parables in the mustard seed and the leaven. The hope, the assurance, the power of God's kingdom can be found and compared, Jesus says, to that of the mustard seed and the leaven. So let's take a look. First the mustard seed and then the leaven. How does Jesus in verse 32 describe the mustard seed? What does he say? He says it's the smallest of all the seeds. And if you've seen a mustard seed, you know it is incredibly tiny, small. However, there's many throughout history who have quickly pointed out the inaccuracy that Jesus has here because there are, in fact, other seeds smaller. But let me just quickly say this. Why, why is Jesus making this claim? It's as easy as this is a common expression in this time of day, as small as a mustard seed. It's an expression, a way in which one could emphasize one's smallness or insignificance. And we do the same thing today in all sorts of ways. Maybe we say as wise as an owl or as smart as a fox. Are there things smarter and wiser than owls and fox? I sure hope so, right? (laughs) Jesus is not laying down absolute truth, but an idea that conveys an emphasis of meaning. And, and, and right now, he's underscoring the smallness, the insignificance for the appearance of God's kingdom. Because compared to the other religions happening right now in Jesus' time in the Roman Empire, the gods and goddesses of the pantheon of Rome, the kingdom of heaven was indeed tiny and insignificant. So tiny that it was nearly invisible because it only comprised of Jesus And his band of 12 brothers, the disciples, right? And it's pretty insignificant because no one even noticed its beginnings. A king born to a poor family, placed into a manger as a crib, raised as a carpenter in a small out-of-town, in in an insignificant town, a, a king who never assumed political office, never assembled an army, but rather just barely scrapes together these rag top, like 12 guys who are uneducated and ordinary, one who betrays them, one who denies them, and all who desert him. And it's a king rejected by fellow countrymen and dies as a criminal. And so from these tiny and insignificant mustard seed beginnings, who'd expect anything great? But Jesus says, as in verse 32, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but when when the mustard seed has grown, it is what? Larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So great a tree that the birds there come and actually make nests in it. You know, the, the, barely, the mustard seed can barely be seen. Barely be seen. Jesus expresses that this seed will grow and expand to be larger than all the garden plants. Now, just this past month, Emily and I, I should say Emily and I, Emily, my wife, planted our garden. I supported her from afar. So much so that when I came home, she told me, hey, I think I got the garden planted. I think I, I, th- I, think I got the carrots in. And I was like, what, is, what does that mean? You either you did or you didn't. I'm confused by this verbiage of I think I got the carrots in. We've never grown carrots before. This is our first time dealing with them. And so I asked her, what does it mean that you think you got the carrots 
planted. And she said, well, the seeds were so small that I, I couldn't tell if, if a seed dropped into the hole or if a, several seeds dropped into the hole or, or no seeds dropped into the hole because it's impossible to find the seed once the seed goes into the dirt. And now time will tell if the vegetation which is growing in our garden, is it carrot or weeds? I don't know. I don't, I don't know carrot plants. But time will tell. And so it is with the mustard seed in this parable. Because when you place that mustard seed in the ground, if you were to plant a mustard seed, you're not going to be able to find it once you release it from your hand. But in time, but in time, that tiny, that insignificant mustard seed will grow to become the largest plant in your garden. And this is true. I talked to Armila this week, and she knows plants. She teaches at the UW. Mustard plants grow to six, commonly six to eight feet tall. That's a large plant. That's taller than me. And given the right conditions, a plant could actually grow up to 12 feet. And I read this elsewhere from one botany professor. He said, there are few plants which grow so large in one season as a mustard plant. It's a plant Catch this, it's a plant characterized by growth. This is absolute reason why Jesus chose to associate his kingdom with that plant. Now, for those of you who are in the service, on the end of the aisle, there should be a bag that's hanging near you. Go ahead and grab it. It's safe to grab. It's safe to grab. Um, and in it are mustard seeds. Go ahead and pull one of those seeds out. I want you to just, just try to hold one of these mustard seeds. And if you're at home, I'll do my best to get one of these seeds. And you're not going to be able to see it, but I am holding it in my hand. It's right there for those of you who are watching online. I know you can't see it, but here it is. I'm holding it up. It's a tiny little speck, right? If you're like me, it's probably rolling all over and probably you already have a couple on the floor, right? They're very tiny, very, very hard to hold. But as you hold, I want you to keep holding this little mustard seed in the palm of your hand. Keep holding it because in this tiny and insignificant seed, you're actually holding all the makings that requires to make a plant that may grow 8, 12 feet tall, 4 feet wide, big enough to have branches where birds want to come and build nests in its tree, and it's all packed into this tiny little seed. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine that, right? That all this is in this little seed. It's so insignificant. But this is Jesus' point. This is the first of two kingdom lessons, that though this seed is tiny, that though this seed is insignificant, and, and we all, I think, agree if we pulled the audience right here in front of us, that it is improbable to all of us on the outside looking at this seed of saying, hey, it's going to amount to anything, but so too the kingdom of God. So too the kingdom of God. Though improbable, in time, God says, my kingdom will be larger than all other kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus has been right. He hasn't been wrong because all other religions, especially back then in Jesus' day, they don't exist anymore. 
But Jesus' kingdom, that began with that ragtag group of 12 guys, it still exists. Those mustard seed beginnings, it's expanded so much so that 2,000 years later, we can look back, and now we are a part of the largest religion on the face of this earth. Christianity is the largest religion. And look at us right now. We're gathered together in person and online, 2,000 years removed from the time of Christ, thousands of miles away from where this even took place, all celebrating the life of Christ. There's evidence that Jesus is right. But here's the trouble. When we stare straight into our lives, when we stare straight into our lives, the here and the now, where we're prone to miss the reality of God's work, God's kingdom building around us and in our lives. Like this tiny mustard seed, how often do you and do I simply overlook, disregard, oh, it fell on the floor, oh, well, it was just a mustard seed. See, the Jews in our passage, they were expectantly waiting, eagerly awaiting, praying for the kingdom to come. And what happened? Even though the kingdom was before their very eyes, they missed it. They overlooked it. They disregarded it. And this is to fulfill what is said in Isaiah, a very interesting passage for our parable. Isaiah 53 Starting in verse 2, it's speaking of the coming Messiah, for he, the Messiah, will grow up before him like a young plant. Interesting. And like a root out of dry ground, the Messiah will have no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he is despised and we esteemed him not. It sounds a lot like a mustard seed that you had in your hand. Insignificant, improbable, unlikely, worthy to be ignored, despised. That's Jesus. A rejected and seemingly insignificant seed that was sown into the field of our world. And so friends, I wonder how you think about Jesus. Maybe you're considering him for the first time. Keep exploring Perhaps you've heard his name and his gospel a thousand of times. And Jesus perhaps may just seem unimpressive now. His message, old news, and so it's easy to shrug him off, to walk away unaffected, indifferent to the contribution that his message has to your eternal destiny. He is, after all, you say, just a tiny mustard seed. But not so fast. Because the message of our passage is that Jesus, catches Jesus is the seed from which all of life of the kingdom springs. Don't underestimate Jesus. Don't overlook Jesus. Don't dismiss him. Do not give up on Jesus. For as sure as the mustard seed that we hold in our hand will become the largest of all the garden plants, so too or I said this wrong, but as that will happen, it doesn't happen overnight, right? 
it requires time. It requires time. We live in a world where we expect results right now, right? We order things online and expect, even if we order it late at night, we expect it the next day. I don't know about you, but I've been frustrated by Amazon. How many items are backordered and you have to wait a month now? It's frustrating, right? To have to wait for things. That's the world we live in. But let the mustard seed be our teacher. And I want you to take that mustard seed again, if you can get it into your hand. I want you to take that mustard seed one more time. I want you to place it into the palm of your hand. Because just as we, just a few moments ago, considered the absolute wonder of holding in our palm the power of what that tiny seed will become, consider this. That if you've placed your trust in Jesus... All the good things of God's kingdom are packed inside of you like the power of this mustard seed. God's spirit in you, his love, his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his healing, his righteousness, his glory, his compassion, it's all there right inside of you. And by God's grace, those things are shaping, they're growing, they're allowing you to become more in the made in the image of God. But there is a rub, right? There is a rub. Because like the mustard plant, like I said, the growth can sometimes feel painstakingly slow. And it often leaves, I don't know, it often leaves me at least with the notion just, I'm going to chuck my hope in Jesus at this. And I'm going to chase down an alternative route. But that is foolish. Hold on to the mustard seed. Do not Overlook it. God's promises are sure. His kingdom, he says, will prevail. And until that day when Jesus comes again, we live in a world of tension. For all the progress that we have seeing God's kingdom, it does remain comparatively small, right? We're often opposed and mocked as Christians. I feel, at least in my own sphere, it's just a cultural opposition to the values that we have in Jesus, and it leaves me often walking down a pathway of discouragement. Sometimes I wonder, am I really making a difference for God's kingdom? Where are the results? Is my investment paying off? And so I think to myself, I think all the time, well, maybe I don't have a good enough story. Maybe my story isn't worth sharing. Or maybe my love, it's not sacrificial or good enough. Or maybe my prayers, I don't know how to pray, they're ineffective. Or maybe I'm just simply too insignificant to be used in God's kingdom. Can you relate to any of those lines of thinking? Well, here's the deal. As I've thought about this, I think this is so true that you and I are just victimized by our culture's mentality of bigness. One Bible teacher puts it like this Our bank banks, our banks claim millions in deposits. Our buildings, like the Tower of Babel, must reach unto the heavens. Every city is ambitious to double in population, and even our churches search for grand movements which flourish for a day and then die. But what was the teaching, the consistent message of Jesus? 
He said it's that one small cup of cold water. It's that widow's only coins. It's that lost, that one lost sheep. It's that kindness done unto one of the least of us. It's that little grain of mustard seed. Friends, may we not discount the mustard seed contributions. No matter how tiny or insignificant they feel, because God does not demand anything glorious or grand from you or I. God's simply after your faithfulness. Faithfulness. So what? Maybe all you can do is pray every night with your child or for a family member who doesn't know Christ. So what? Maybe all you can do is offer a few words of hope consistently, regularly to a coworker. So what? Is all you can do is love your neighbor in small but consistent and compassionate ways across the street. Because here's the truth. God always takes our stammering lips, our faltry prayers, and our fragile service, and like that of a mustard seed, God's kingdom always grows. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Stop judging the value of your labors by your perspective. Stop judging the value of your labors by your perspective and learn to judge by his promises. Judge by his promises because God's kingdom cannot be stopped. It may seem small now, but it is growing. And while the growth will probably always most likely appear improbable, from our vantage point, it does not mean that God's promises are false. And this brings us to the second kingdom lesson, that while we may not be able to see the kingdom growing, none of us can peer into the dirt to see the seed germinating, right? Take heart. For what may appear hidden is at work, which is exactly what Jesus says in the second parable. Verse 33 Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. <clears throat> now we know this, that leaven is obviously the substance that's used in, in the baking of bread to ca- cause it to rise. And obviously the chief characteristic, right, is that it spreads until it permeates the whole batch. And interesting, throughout scripture, leaven is typically used as a negative symbol, as a way to illustrate how sin so easily spreads in our lives. For example, Jesus warns earlier to, against the leaven, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul calls believers to rid themselves of, and, and purge the leaven of malice and evil in their lives. For a little leaven, he says, leavens the whole lump. And so there are some who will say that this leaven in this parable represents evil permeating throughout God's kingdom. For me, I, I don't find that this interpretation fits well the context of this passage because Jesus literally says the kingdom of heaven is like what? Leaven. And if leaven is a reference to the power and influence of sin, that doesn't make sense to me. Rather, I find Jesus is using leaven as a way to illustrate how the kingdom of heaven will spread in our world. It speaks to the power of God's kingdom a power far more potent than sin. And to emphasize this power, notice, the, to emphasize this power, the potency, Jesus offers in this parable this baker who puts in these three measures of flour. 
And I had to look. This would be approximately like a 50 pounds of a batch in front of you, enough dough to feed 100 people. That is a lot of dough. I can't imagine working, stirring, trying to do something with that amount of dough, right? It's an incredible mass of dough, but that is Jesus' point. That though a lot of dough, even the smallest amount of leaven can influence the entire mass. And notice there in verse 33, it says that the baker, the woman, she takes and hides this leaven in the dough. This means that the bakers, they would have, they worked it deeply into the dough. They've, they've turned it, they've folded it, they've kneaded it. It's, it's, in, it's pushed into the dough so that by the time that the baker is through, you would not be able to see the small amount of leaven that was put into it. The leaven then is hidden from view. But it's there, and its influence is very present. It's, it, it's a powerful yet hidden influence that Jesus says will eventually permeate every part of the dough. And that's what God's kingdom is like. You know, just because the kingdom may start small like a mustard seed, it's not debilitating because it has the power to influence everything. See, in a sense, what Jesus is saying in these two parables is that the parable of the mustard seed, it emphasizes the extensive growth of the kingdom. It's going to get large. And the parable 11 emphasizes the intensive power of the kingdom. It's going to be effective. And this is the second kingdom principle, the hidden yet powerful and active work of God's kingdom in our world. Now, remember back to last week, right, the parable of the weeds. Why does Jesus leave the weeds in our midst? Why doesn't Jesus just remove them? It seems like he could do that. Like I said earlier, it seems like it would compromise the kingdom. Well, the parable of the leaven gives us an answer. Because leaven contains the power to influence the whole batch. So, too, God's power will influence the whole world. God has injected literally into our world, like like the leaven into the dough, he's injected the power of eternal life into our world, and it's spreading. And even if we struggle to see it, God is accomplishing his purposes. And so we fight any voice, any battle of discouragement with the promise of his victory. Because... We live in a present world, right, that's filled, we see it increasingly so, with evil and hatred, political and racial dividedness, and and there's a deadly virus infection spreading around our world. And if you're like me, it seems like God's kingdom, it seems a little weak right now. It seems a little small right now. And whatever positive influence I'm able to inject into my spheres of influence, it really kind of seems like it's just a small drop into a vast ocean. And I know many of you, you're crying out like the psalmist in Psalm 94 saying, How long, O Lord, will the wicked flourish? How long, O Lord? But let us remember as Christians, though the progress of the kingdom is mysterious, the potency of God's kingdom is sure. Let me read from 2 Peter chapter 3. says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
the Lord, hear this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Might be talking about weeds right here. That they all should reach repentance. But, but, we know how it goes, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Just as the powerful agents 11 cannot be stopped when placed into a batch of dough, the power of God's kingdom cannot be stopped until victory is had. Hallelujah. That is our hope. God's kingdom cannot be stopped. And this reminds me of that old hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And if I had the voice of Zach or somebody, I would sing it. But it says, Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Church, one day there will be countless multitudes singing the praises of the Lamb from every tribe, tongue, and nation under heaven. It will be so. And nothing will thwart the purpose and design of God's kingdom in our world. Be encouraged. Remember the mustard seed that though tiny and insignificant, God's kingdom is assured to last. Remember the leaven that though it may be hidden, the potency, the power of God's kingdom is sure to win out. I want to finish by just calling us as a church to be a people who does not despise the small things, but instead recognize the greatness of God's work often happens through things that we say is small and insignificant in our world. I want to call you to this by telling you of a short story of a mother who night after night faithfully read to her child, her son, the Bible. She prioritized this in their family routine, and as a parent myself, that's a commitment, to faithfully read Bible stories to your child. And many nights, I know she was left wondering, is any of this making a difference? But she persevered. She faithfully persevered. The boy's name grew up. His name was Mordecai Ham. He would go on to become a fearless evangelist, a man greatly set on seeing criminals come to faith. From 1929 to 1941, he conducted 61 crusades in 15 states, and over 170,000 people came to faith. In the fall of 1934, Ham opened up a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began that crusade with these words, there is a great sinner here tonight. And in the audience that night sat a young child named Billy. And he thought to himself, I resonate with Billy. 
mother has been telling this man, this preacher, about me. That night, Billy Graham was saved. The same Billy Graham, as you know, who became the single most international recognized evangelist leading millions of people to Jesus. Remember, though, how this story began. A mother and her unsung mustard seed efforts faithfully reading her Bible to her child. You know, we easily scoff at the idea of, well, what effect can a mother have on reading her Bible to her kid? I'll tell you the effect. 15% of our entire world's population hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the work of Billy Graham. We may not always see the power of God's kingdom at work, but that's no reason to forsake the mustard seed contributions that God is calling you to. May we be a church that faithfully perseveres, no matter how tiny or insignificant it seems, no matter the results. Church, do not grow weary. Hope in the Lord, God's kingdom cannot be stopped. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you utterly amazed at your kingdom, though improbable, entering our world as a poor child in a stable. You have brought salvation to all people of all nations. And we worship you this morning, recognizing our own limitations, our failed unbelief. Although we come to you in repentance and saying, help my unbelief. Lord, would you turn in our hearts ways in which we need to repent and come to you to cling to your promises that you are for us, that you are with us, that we are more than conquerors in you. And Lord, may you set our eyes on that day when you come back and bring thing, all things anew. We need your help, and we thank you that your spirit and your word are here to help. So Lord, I pray that we would be a church who never fails to see the ways in which you're calling us to faithfully persevere. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Be our help. We need you. We're so prone to wander. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we're so thankful that your kingdom cannot be stopped. It's your name we pray. Amen.